0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Tonight, I've invited practically every single doctor I know on the show. Now, you might think it's for infertility because it's National Infertility Awareness Week or sex because Dr. Lori Brado has written an amazing book about sex and mindfulness or rabies serums for your barking children and the danger of energy drinks. But no, no, no. It's because I've been suffering with the common cold and I want some free advice. Good evening. I'm Maureen McGrath and this is the Sunday Night health show, a show all about health, something I've lost of late. It's been said your health is your wealth. The benefits of great health cannot be overstated. Great health leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and sexual health, uncovering what lies beneath the covers. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. Please do put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. We are going underneath the covers tonight, especially on this program. On the program, my aim is to provide you with up-to-date, evidence-based information so that you know there are options for treatment. Please do, however, always consult with your medical doctor for any of your ailments. Good evening. How are you, Andrew? Uh, I'm I'm doing good. Green tea helps. Green tea helps. Huh? That, okay, that, that's one of my go-to's. Okay, so that's not that's advice that's not from the doctor, but I'm taking it anyway <laughs> because, quite frankly, I haven't tried green tea. I tried. Neocitran, codeine syrup, uh, Tylenol, Advil, Advil, cold and sinus. Um, the list keeps going. The list is endless. Honey, tea, ginger, alcohol. Uh, I've tried it all. Nothing's working. Ginger and
1: honey. If you just take uh, sliced <laughs> ginger, you can throw it in the freezer and then put it in a mug and mull it with a pestle and mortar and hot water. Okay, it I'm does help.
0: lying. I didn't even try the ginger or lemon oh, because I am on. so unnatural. Okay. <laughs> ginger is good I for go you. I go straight for the drugs. I know. I'm actually going to have to go natural I think (laughs) this (laughs) week I just don't believe any natural things work okay (laughs) there there it is fortunately we're going to be talking about some of those remedies that naturopathic doctors talk about in addition to what I mentioned earlier on in the program Dr. Lori Brado is uh, has written a tremendous book called better sex through mindfulness how women can cultivate desire and she's going to be joining me on the program tonight Also, Dr. Neve Tallon is here. She's from Olive Fertility, and she's going to be talking about Infertility Awareness Week and and some of the things that uh, you can do to improve fertility. It's it's an issue that affects uh, many couples, one in six, I believe, and it can be heartbreaking. Um, Also, Dr. John Hislop is here tonight, and we're going to be talking about those uh, natural remedies. I'll ask him about if there's any... Any rabies serum out there that might help me. Anyway, I'm at this point, I am desperate. But would I do that? No. Uh, so we're going to get the uh, 411 on all of that. Also going to be talking about the three-letter word that will make you live longer and happier, according to science. And what about those unwanted emotional memories? Should you put a lid on them? I have a couple of stories about that. And today I was hoping to run the Vancouver Sun Run. Didn't happen. Um, I did even train for it. I, I tried to anyway. I trained a little bit. And now I'm like the Pillsbury Dough Girl because laying around with a fever and chills and, you know, feeding the cold, starving the fever. So, of course, I I took feeding the cold to a whole new level. And so I'm completely out of shape. And uh, did I have a bad day today? Yeah, kind of. Uh, anyway, it's time to pivot. Um, But nonetheless, I am grateful and gratitude can certainly help. Also, one of uh, America's moms passed away this week, the uh, matriarch of America and the Republican Party, Barbara Bush. Uh, ended her life ended uh, and um, she chose uh, she wrote her own chapter shall we say she was a literary literary lover and she wrote her own chapter for the end of her life and that brought up a whole bunch of new terms or terms that you may or may not be familiar with but ought to be because death is a subject we don't commonly talk about so palliative care end-of-life care caregivers and her decisions allowed 41 to hold her hand till the end of her life, and I think that was with love and respect, and uh, also going to be talking a little bit about physician' suicide, which you wouldn 't think would be as common of an occurrence as it is, and you know you physicians are some of the brightest people on the planet, and yet uh, their uh, suicide rates are much higher than one would expect, and what can we do about that? So we've got lots of subjects on the program tonight. We're going to start out with Dr. Neve Talon of Olive Fertility when I come back. Uh, so you can also give us a call. The number to call is 604-280-9898 or 1-877-399-9898. And you can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Hope all is going well for you this evening. It's my pleasure to be here with you as usual. But it's even more of a pleasure to have my next guest on. Her name is Dr. Neve Talon. She is from Olive Fertility, and she is a fertility specialist. And this week is the Canadian Infertility Awareness Week 2018. If you're trying to conceive, you're going to want to listen to this segment. Good evening, Dr. Talon. Good evening, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming into the studio. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I want to
2: uh, mention right out of the gates, you have a couple of talks coming up this week that I think are important. We do, uh, again, trying to raise awareness um, for the general public. So tomorrow evening in Vancouver um, at the Jewish se- uh, Center and in Surrey. Oh,
0: tomorrow, uh, tomorrow Sorry, Monday, t- April 23rd, that would be in Surrey. Correct.
2: correct, in Surrey (laughs) Library. At
0: the Surrey City Centre Library. And
2: then on Tuesday in Vancouver, um, again, another talk being done on the same kind of topics. Just really trying to help people bring awareness to what you need to consider when you're trying to conceive. And that one's going to be held at the
0: Jewish Community Centre at 950 West 41st Avenue, the one on Tuesday. They're from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Space is limited, so you should call 604 678 8600 to reserve your spot. But you can also go to alloffertility.com uh, for people That's to get right. some more information. All right. Um, so this can be a very sad uh, subject. It uh, People can be embarrassed about this. It can be heartbreaking for couples. A lot of couples expect to get together together um, you know, perhaps get married, move in together, decide to have a family, raise a family of our own, you and me. Okay. Um, and then boom, uh, it can be disappointing. Or um, women who maybe are not partnered, who have always dreamed of having a child, uh, may also uh, face the the question, how do I become pregnant? So let's just
2: start with the couples
0: first. How common is this infertility?
2: So if- About 15% of people will have trouble trying to conceive. So that's the one in six number. That's all comers. But um, most of us are aware that age plays a factor in all of this. And fertility um, becomes more difficult to acquire as you get older. So the prevalence of infertility over 40 is almost 60%. And that's an astounding number. So it's really important for anybody who's actively trying to conceive to recognize that There is a clock there. Um, The most meaningful thing to consider is the length of time that you've been trying to get pregnant. So, and your age and all of that. So if you're young under 35, give yourself a good year of trying. But if you're between 35 and 40, really we want to see you within six months because we don't want to waste any time for you. Very interesting. Um, And so a lot of women today,
0: since women have entered the workplace, um, a lot of women today um will focus on their careers in their twenties and put off having their families or starting their families until their thirties and even
2: late thirties and Is that a mistake? Um, I mean, I think we've um, got to a point now in society where we've been educated to believe that we need to have all other things in place. We should own a home. You should have a partner before you try to embark upon pregnancy. But what we see with that, the downfall in actually, you know, having children, we see fertility rates declining all over Canada When you ask couples what they want, what their ideal family size is, they say, I want to have two children. And we are below that. We are below the replacement level for the size of, you know, the population out there, which is meaningful. Um, so we're obviously not dealing with the problem enough. And so now we're at a point of just like you would with any real medical condition, like hypertension, where we say to people, prevent getting to the point where you have a problem. We're trying to bring about greater awareness. So it's like prevention. And so we're trying to empower women and men to recognize things. And especially from an age related perspective for women, you really need to understand what our true reproductive capabilities are are. So, you know, women over 45 do not attain pregnancies using their own eggs. And so this is a reality that we need to understand and embrace.
0: Great point, because Rachel Weiss has just become pregnant at the age of 48 with Daniel Craig. So Mm -hmm. how did that happen?
2: So I'm not to discuss. I don't have any of their of personal <laughs> information. Um, and well, I, d- I
0: stole it, and here it is. And, so I'm and I,
2: I, d- I feel somewhat a uh, little off in trying to. I'm not trying to out them in any way, but I think it's important that we don't skew realities for the general public and for women out there, and they understand again what what their own reproductive capabilities are. So, really, that's very likely a donor egg that has led to that pregnancy. And when we talk about donor eggs being better than. Older eggs, the reality is they're just genetically of a better quality and the lead to healthier pregnancies and a lower chance of miscarriage. And and a healthier baby at the end of the day.
0: Correct. And and often the couple, when they get together, they want to have a baby together. That's often a sign
2: of love, commitment, connection for couples. Correct. And, you know, you mentioned women are looking at, you know, having their careers in their 20s and are off-putting, you know, having children till later. If you look at the best evidence and the most up-to-date evidence tells us that they're really not having children because I haven't met a partner yet, and I think a lot of media and the stories like Rachel Wise and Daniel Craig, it's a lot of it centers around age, and uh, again gives this idea that this is an issue that relates to career women who are advancing their careers. It's really not, um, and this is one of the key features of Infertility Awareness Week is. You know, when you look at a couple, 30 to 50 percent of the time, it's actually a male related issue. And there is a lot of shame and uh, associated with that. And and we don't talk about it enough. And so this week is really about unveiling uh, the secrecy and supporting patients and recognizing that it's not just an age-related issue. There are a lot of really young couples out there who struggle with fertility and often require multiple rounds of treatment to attain a family. And what are the
0: common reasons for uh, infertility in couples? Let's start with some of the common women uh, common reasons women would struggle with fertility. Yeah,
2: there is tubal factors. So for example, if there's been exposures to infections in the past, tubes can be blocked and you need to patent or open tubes for sperm and egg to be able to meet properly. Um, There may be an issue with the uterus, meaning that it's not a healthy place for a pregnancy to stick or to continue to grow. And sometimes there are issues that we're we're born with and they're silent to us. Um, um, There's unexplained issues, meaning we've looked at everything else and we cannot find a definitive reason. And one of the myths I think we need to debunk is if all of your testing is normal, meaning sperm is appropriate and moving well, and in good numbers, tubes are open, fallopian tubes are open, and the uterus is normal. Just because those tests all return as normal does not mean there is not an issue. The issue is they're not getting pregnant. That is unexplained infertility. And really, when we look at this, again, just to remember if you're trying, seek assistance sooner than later because time is really the hallmark A lot of um, the things, especially related to age-related infertility, are silent. There's no big heralding red flag that a woman can identify. So they need to present themselves to a clinic for evaluation to look at what we call ovarian reserve, the number of eggs, the quality of eggs remaining at that point in their lives, because you can still have regular menstrual cycles and have a very low egg count, which gives you a lower probability of success at treatment. And how
0: about for men? What are some of the common reasons that the cause for the infertility is because of the man?
2: So you require large numbers of sperm in the ejaculate that are moving well to be able to meet an egg and fertilize. They digest the outside of the egg, a large number, and then once sp- sperm will enter into that egg. And so if there is an issue with the numbers. So um why would there be an issue with the numbers? You could have a genetic condition you were born with. That's not that common. More commonly it could be something related to say sitting in a hot tub every day or a sauna every day.
0: How about mountain biking?
2: Uh, mountain biking, biking avidly can affect um, sperm numbers, especially where there is some value to wearing you know, or some truth to uh, wearing tight pants affecting sperm counts. So um, it, we, we do look at all of those things, but undescended testes in a child can affect uh, fertility in the future. Um, hernia surgeries, perhaps if one of the risks potentially is um, affecting uh, patency of the tracts that allow sperm move move through the ejacus. So we do a general history, but most importantly, a semen analysis is required to establish whether or not there are norms there for number and movement. And and what can be done about that? So... once we've made a diagnosis, we have uh, male fertility doctors, uh, urologists primarily, who would examine and try to come up with a diagnosis. And then, you know, if there is a sperm present, we're able to, at in vitro fertilization, inject a single sperm into an egg. So the woman does need to go through treatment so that we can egg harvest and inject a sperm into an egg for creation of an embryo. And then that would be replaced back into her uterus to carry in um, the pregnancy. Um, in some situations, if sperm counts are particularly low and there's nothing in the ejaculate, we'll look at doing surgical procedures to acquire sperm. Um, and then there's donor sperm, and so there, you know, we have sperm banks that we have access to, and patients will purchase sperm and and use that either at insemination, where we place sperm inside the uterus, or again at IVF. Right. Um, how about egg
0: freezing? Let's talk a little bit about that for women who may maybe would prefer to have a partner to raise a child with and have decided to delay
2: yeah. um, pregnancy? There's really two sets of women that are looking at egg freezing. One set are avidly aware of age-related decline in fertility and are anxious and, and are aware that for whatever reasons, whether that be career or they're just maybe they have a partner and they've discordant wishes um, as to how they want to have a family, they'll often come in and, and look at banking Their youngest and best eggs that are your eggs of today. They're never better than they are today. Mm -hmm. And you set those aside knowing that you're going to try for pregnancy at a point when you're at a poorer prognosis. Then there's another set of women who are also aware of age-related decline in fertility, but they aren't so concerned about having a partner to share that with. And so they'll often try to get pregnant using uh, donor sperm inseminations to achieve a pregnancy. The thing with uh, egg freezing that's most important to recognize is the women who do best are those that present at the youngest age. One of the criticisms is that if you show up very early, like under the age of 30 years, and everything looks good for you under the age of 30 years, meaning you have a good um, reserve of eggs um, for your age that you may actually never need to use those eggs in the future. But, you know, women who right. are interested in knowing about their own fertility are likely to be more proactive as well at attaining a pregnancy. Um, so if it is something, if you know you know for sure that you want a partner to share, um, having a, a, a family with and you're not there yet, or a career that's going to put you at a time when you're later in age over 40, egg freezing would be reasonable
0: excellent thank you so much and you can learn more about this tomorrow night monday april 23rd at the surrey center surrey center, city center library or on tuesday night at the jewish community center all of fertility.com thank you dr tallon i'm maureen mcgrath you're listening to the sunday night health show welcome back to the sunday night health show maureen mcgrath hosting this program for you thank you so much for being here with me this evening uh Dr. Jonathan Hislop is an MD, PhD, and he's joining me in the studio to talk naturopathology. (laughs) To talk about naturopaths and some of the prescriptions, what it means. And uh, there was an an article in the paper, in the news this week, that um, said that a naturopath had treated a barking child with rabies serum, or injectable. Um, I just... For the record, I've had a number of barking children. I have a barking cough. This is not something that I would ever think to... Utilized to treat myself, and I imagine the good doctor doesn't agree either. Good evening, Doctor Hislop. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me back on the show again, Maureen. Appreciate I, that. I am so glad you could come on and talk about this. Um, we, much to the shock of many people, uh, a mother with a barking child um, allegedly went off to her naturopath, who prescribed rabies serum. Was it or injectable? I- I think my well, what, fever was burning high and I thought I was hallucinating when I read this article. But There was a huge uh, shock factor,
1: I think, when this uh, news story came out. And the, the background there is that this uh, naturopath, she has her own website with a section of it where she has essentially a blog that uh, she describes what she calls, you know, her success stories, and this particular one was about a child with what was uh, what seemed to be aggressive behaviors. And I guess uh, at times the child was growling a bit because, you know, kids sometimes do that kind of thing.
0: They growl, they bark, they scream, they (laughs) do lots of things.
1: But uh, she did describe aggressive behavior in this child. And sure enough, you know, that deserves a proper evaluation and perhaps the family needs some proper support. And what she ended up describing in her blog is that uh, she tried to get at, you know, naturopaths like to talk about how they and the, that they're essentially the only people on earth who seem to know how to get at, a, you know, the root cause uh, as if, uh, you know, it's hard for anybody else to to manage this very, very, frankly, basic concept of trying to figure out the underlying causes behind issues. And in her review of this child, she determined that, I guess, at some point, there the child had been bitten by a dog. The dog had had the rabies vaccine, and now this child's behaving a bit aggressively, and she decides, well, that's kind of the way somebody with rabies would behave. And so somehow that's all linked together to mean that this child should now receive a homeopathic treatment. Which uh, was made from the saliva of a dog that had rabies, because that all makes sense.
0: So yes, to uh, to aliens. Um, So homeopathy—that's another—that's apart from natural naturopathy or naturopathic. I don't even like to say medicine. Naturopathic approaches to life. But so, what is the the basic premise of homeopathy? The idea with
1: homeopathy, uh, the the underlying idea is that like cures like. And so what they'll do is they'll take something that's somehow related to what they're trying to get rid of. In this case, uh, she sees a child with behavior that she considers to be like a person with rabies, but that, that's not ex- at all really how people with rabies behave. Um, but in any case, uh, she decides to take something that had a history of rabies in it, and then dilute that. And you dilute it a lot, like really a lot, so much that there's none of the original substance left in what you have anymore. And so in one sense, it's just water. And scientists have come to broad agreement and recognition That homeopathy is completely useless. It doesn't do anything. There's no evidence that it works, and there's plenty of evidence that it's no different than giving a placebo. In other words, giving water, which, big surprise, is exactly what it is.
0: Um, Can we trust that it's just water? I mean, do they actually take rabies and dilute it down? I would be fearful that there would be just one...
1: I totally agree with that. And that's one of the big concerns that came out in all of this, which is that, you you know, what what process was in place to make sure that there truly was none of the original rabies virus left? Because if there was any left, that is something that would be
0: phenomenally dangerous. Of course, even for somebody who had been vaccinated against rabies after a dog bite, or would that child be protected a little bit?
1: Well, if somebody is exposed to rabies, uh, they do have some time to react and get proper medical uh, treatment for that. And it is possible to give uh, sort of an serum yes. in order to protect them. Uh, but, you know, we don't want
0: to expose anybody in the first place. The no. whole idea is complete avoidance. No, but there was apparently the, this was one of this uh, naturopath's success stories. So allegedly the family is happy. The child's not growling anymore.
1: The family – she states that the family is happy and that's all well and good. And maybe this child's behavior improved. But if it improved, I don't think it's because of this supposed remedy that the child had. Uh, Homeopathy doesn't do anything. And – one of the – it's one of the really important things to consider is what are the consequences to having a homeopathic treatment? Maybe it's just water and maybe it's not uh, dangerous per se. But then if we're doing that and we're not doing another more proper treatment, then we're missing out on something. And maybe this child got better, but maybe another one wouldn't. How come this child didn't receive more standard appropriate care? Uh, you know, you start wondering whether the proper supports were put in place in terms of counseling for the child, supports for the family. Uh, it's not clear from any of the notes in this blog that uh, you know, a proper uh, medical workup was done at any point. Sometimes, you know, they're talking about getting at an underlying root cause. I don't know if uh, the ghost of a rabies virus is an underlying root cause that sounds more like some kind of paranormal cause. Absolutely.
0: Uh, but, uh, but this woman is being investigated. This natural path is being investigated now.
1: Yeah, so well, there were a couple of things that happened. First of all, the, the College of Paths of .BC. came out in support of this naturopath stating that uh, the treatment she used is essentially sounds like they said it's fine and they don't seem to they certainly uh, don't have any issue with homeopathy which they think is fine um, and, however at the same time the because of how much this was in the news and going around social media and uh, many physicians uh, myself any of my colleagues colleagues on Twitter who were really not impressed with how this all sounded uh, the information got around and uh, eventually the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, took note of this and I will certainly commend her for taking the bull by the horns and she uh, took note that, well, we need to look into this, see was the pro- was this uh, supposed remedy that this naturopath used, was it approved by Health Canada? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is important uh, and I, I think Further than that, it would be a good idea for us to review the Health Canada approvals process uh, for natural products, which is very different than it is for uh, for medicine, uh, for medical products. And for prescription want, medications. For, exact, Thank yeah. you. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure that anything that's being brought in is, in fact, safe. Uh, was the rabies virus completely removed from all of this? Uh, this is something that we need to know to make sure that the Canadian
0: public is uh, is protected. And you know, there's there are no rule books for parents. Um, and but what parent in their right mind would think that this was okay? Well, I, you know, it's not clear to me that they knew what the child was
1: receiving. Of course, the you know the the name of this uh, is not you know dog rabies saliva homeopathy. It, right. It has another name which they use. Which well, there's a couple of names for it: Lysinum or Lysin. Uh, or hydrophonium, I think is another name for it. Well, I mean, it's easy to imagine the family was told, well, I've got this uh, stuff here, the Slicinum, and it can help improve your child's
0: behavior. Uh, so they may not have understood that at all. Well, I remember one time my baby had eczema on his chin, and it looked as though he was crying all the time. So he had like two um, tear. <laughs> he probably Channels, was crying because yeah. I was his mother. Anyway, <laughs> channel tears. What do you mean you've and I've ended up with her, and uh, but he had this eczema that was on his chin and and his neck and his under his eyes, and people would say, "Oh, he's crying," and it was very distressing to me. And I had brought him to the dermatologist, and and I tried everything, and then somebody suggested a naturopath, and and I went because I was desperate, and and I I was I was skeptical but desperate, and so I brought the child and the naturopath sold me $135 worth of naturopathic, you know, little bottles of whatever. And and I looked at them after I paid for them, and I looked at them, and, and the first ingredient was alcohol. And I just thought, there's nice. no way this is going to work for my baby, and I'm not giving this to my It just made no sense whatsoever. I don't even remember what the other ingredients were. But I just thought, this is not going to work. What did end up working, I would like to say, is, you know, cortisone cream and um, Benadryl. And mitts on his hands for three nights in a row. So that worked. And he never had a problem again. So, this is the, um, he still has a problem that I'm his mother, but no. <laughs> aside from that, I don't know if there's any rabies serum that can help with that. But uh, so, but I, you know, I was desperate. Even in my desperation, I, I couldn't do that to my baby.
1: Well, and I I'd certainly commend you for thinking for yourself and thinking about the treatment that's being offered. And, you know, I'll, I'll, one of the things that you just mentioned kind of struck me, which is that she, that, or uh, whoever this was, sold you uh, this medication. Uh, you know what happens to a medical doctor that sells in
0: their practice exactly. something that they recommend? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, it ain't going to happen. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I uh, many times I've heard this particular naturopath's name and people say, go to so-and-so. He's amazing. And I always think back to my my story of, I, you know, do not go that route. Yeah. Well, and the, the question all this brings up is, you know, with the college coming out
1: in support of this naturopath, um, you know, it's supposed to be a regulated profession. They're mm-hmm. the body that's supposed to regulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they demonstrated that they can do this safely
0: for the uh, for the public? Uh, it's not clear to me. Absolutely. No, well, thank you so much for being a voice for this. We need to keep our children safe, our our people safe. People don't realize that natural doesn't actually mean healthy or without side effects or without tragedy, quite frankly. Um, You know, there can be lots of negative consequences um, for uh, natural products that are used. Natural doesn't mean natural. To me, it means not tested. Thank you very much, Maureen. You're very welcome. Keep up the great work, Dr. John Hislop. You can follow him on Twitter. It's fascinating. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, the unhealthy Maureen McGrath, is hosting this program for you. I'm not whining or complaining. I am grateful. Grateful for all the wonderful things I actually have. In my life, okay, maybe I don't have health today or this week, but I expect I'm going to be getting it back next week. Um, But Without further ado, I am honored to have in the studio with me tonight Dr. Lori A. Brado, PhD. She has written a phenomenal book called Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire. Good evening, Dr. Brado. Thanks so much for coming into the studio. Thanks so much for having me on, Maureen. Loved your book, of course. Thank you. It's a a university education on sexual desire and the female (laughs) sexual response cycle and how it should be. And let's just say, ladies, sex is for you. Let's just start out with that, okay? Because a lot of women have not heard that in their lives, and they may not realize that even after having had a sexual relationship for a number of years. Many women are taught that it's about pleasing the man or pleasing the partner, that it's not about for them. It's the number one thing I educate patients in my clinical practice about. And you've written just an extraordinary book.
3: Thank you so much, Maureen. I, I actually uh, agree with you. There are so many myths and stereotypes surrounding women's sexuality. Um, I've highlighted a few of them in the books in, in hopes that uh, women will be able to receive accurate information and be empowered when it comes to their own sexual health. Absolutely. And low sexual desire is a problem for a number
0: of women. It's a common disorder, but many women are not disturbed by this. But it's this is really in large part about those women who are, but many women may lack the education to understand what an important aspect of sexuality, female sexual desire is, and impacts relationships. It can have a negative impact on a relationship. It can impact intimacy. It may impact how a woman feels about herself, how she presents to the world. There's just so many aspects around sexual desire that that are so important, and some of the great work was the a lot of the foundation was laid by Masters and Johnson, which you outline in your book. So let's just talk a little bit about uh, low sexual desire and
3: what exactly that is. Sure. So essentially low sexual desire, um, can, uh, can manifest in a number of different ways. The most common way is the woman who says, I'm simply not interested in sex anymore, or I have a significantly lower level of interest in sex than I used to have. Um, other ways that it can manifest is a woman may no longer initiate sex. Uh, when her partner initiates, she may avoid Perhaps she starts going to bed at a different time from her partner, maybe avoids undressing in front of them. Um, Some women will also say that they no longer think about sex. They no longer fantasize. They don't have erotic thoughts. Um, And for uh, quite a number of women, they will say that, that it doesn't bother them, that they if they never had sex again, that would be just fine and well. And of course for other women they're quite distressed that this drop in desire has uh, quite uh, has created quite a bit of stress in their own lives as well as in their relationship. And so it's that latter group of women who tend to seek treatment for their low desire. Now one would think that sex therapist offices are just you know lining
0: up with patients but that's not necessarily the case. Because, and so how much do you think, because many women don't realize that this is a problem, things could be better. They're not bothered by it. As you say, they practice avoidant behaviors. They don't want their, their partner or their husband to touch them because they're afraid that that will lead to sex and they just have no interest in having sex. Uh, how about the long term relationship the boredom in the bedroom? how many women report boredom in the bedroom and are they distressed by that
3: yeah so there 's really two things going on there 's the women who may have lost their desire or had quite a reduction in their desire and not realize that this is a problem not realize that there are actual causes for her low desire perhaps a change in mood stress maybe she 's using a medication that interferes and so she simply doesn 't realize that this is a, is a real problem uh, Problem for her. Maybe this is a woman who believes that, yeah, all women lose their sexual desire with age. And in fact, that is a flat out myth. We have plenty of data that show us that women will continue to have desire and sexual activity well into the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Now, there's a second group of women. These are the women who have low desire are distressed by it, but are too embarrassed to talk to a family doctor or to a healthcare provider for it. And that's the much larger group of women. So we know of the women who have a clinically significant uh, low level of desire, the vast majority, probably about 80%, will never talk to a healthcare provider about that problem. And do they think that it can't be a problem because if it's related to sex, it's not a medical problem? Or do they think that there's no help for that? I think it relates, and the research would certainly support this, that it has much more to do with embarrassment. So for a woman who's had, say, the same family doctor for 30 years, she may think to herself, how can I bring this up now? We've never talked about sex in all these 30 years. My family doctor has never asked me questions about sexual health. So there's a concern about this perhaps being inappropriate. Um, there's also, I think, a belief that um, that there's nothing that their doctor can help them with. There are no treatments. Many of these women have scoured the internet. They've tried reading self-help books uh, to no avail. So there's a bit of a sense of helplessness there that even if I bring this up, my doctor won't be able to help me with this problem. Now, how about the woman who says,
0: I have no sexual desire or I thought I had no sexual desire with with my husband until I went to New York and I met a guy and boom the sexual desire was there
3: <laughs> yeah so we have a name for that and it's called situational uh, sexual dysfunction essentially what that means is that the woman's low desire is situation specific or in this case a uh, partner specific and we know that in a new relationship when attraction is high when novelty is high when mystery is very very high and romanticism that those parts of our brain that fire, the reward systems in our brain, they fire and they fire very strongly. And as things become more familiar, um, those reward centers fire far less until – boom, there's either a new partner or a new kind of sexual practice. Maybe a new technique, maybe a new position, maybe a new place where the long-term couple engages in sex. And that can be a way to fire those reward systems in the brain again. And maybe that's why women who cheat or
0: women who engage in infidelity go outside of their marriage with somebody else, find it so exciting with the new partner. Because it is covert, they're sneaking, it's exciting. It might be on their lunch hour. Anyway, your book... Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, is rooted in stories. It details the research, and it also gives the answers on how women can cultivate desire. We're going to talk about that when we come back in the second hour of the program. I am Maureen McGrath here with Dr. Lori Brado, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show.